This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's get ready to rumble! Hey, I don't know if we're live. Are we live? I think, I think we are. I don't know what happened in the intro there, but it cut off about halfway through. Yeah, um, I didn't do that. Did you do that? No. Well, welcome everyone to the Friday edition of Power Hour. We have a jam-packed show today. Uh, coming up here at, tw- at noon Eastern, we have Kim Rivers, the CEO of TrueLeave. Uh, then at 12.15, Ed Lavery from, from Similar Web will be joining us. 12.30, um, we've got BioLargo coming on. And then 12.45, Tim Quas from Market Structure Edge will be with us. Um, so four guests today in one hour. Like I said, Spence, it'll be jam-packed. Yeah, I'm doing my best here, uh, everyone, to be a functioning member of the stream. I've got limited uh, screen space, limited uh, computer functionality, uh, but I'm here, and I want to see some likes, and I want to see some comments in the chat, because COVID can't stop me. COVID can't stop this. Look, Spencer, can't... now there's now there's two of you on the screen. Oh, my gosh. Don't do that. Go back to... Also, uh, AB, we should probably tell the people, this may be one of the last quote-unquote power hours that we do because we are in the midst of a midday rebrand well yeah yes and no i mean it, i don't it won't be the you know end of power hour as we know it well it might be the end of power hour as we know it but it, it's not like we won't have you know this similar content in this time slot just maybe with a different uh name some different branding but different studio different different studio setup different branding different intro different everything potentially stay tuned more to come on that next week perhaps speaking yes, of sir. next week speaking of next week you, you know what else is next week the uh, Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference That's the one. You see it on the bottom right of your screen. BZCannabis.com. Our first in-person event since COVID. It's been a year and a half, more than a year and a half since we've had an in-person event. We are all extremely, extremely excited. Uh, Looks like I'm probably not going anymore, unfortunately. But that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. So Spencer, you've you've been to these cannabis conferences before. I have not. What what can attendees kind of expect? Okay, that's a great question there, Anne-Marie. Basically, it's an entire conference devoted to learning about the the public and private cannabis markets from an investment perspective, right? Uh, How... Uh, healthy uh, or, or, or not healthy, is, or where in the cycle are we uh, for the, the public cannabis market, for the private cannabis market? What are the next uh, catalysts that investors need to know about? What are the companies that are, are, are on people's radar? If you are an investor in cannabis, 
uh, frankly, this is this is the conference for you. If you're interested in cannabis, it's not so much a conference for like, hey, this is like the next hot new uh, product. This is the next hot new brand. It's more like, hey, this is the next hot new business model, right? Uh, this is what we're seeing as far as deal flow. There's a lot of money flowing into the space. There's not a lot of money flowing into into the space. These are the companies that that are, you know, separating themselves from the pack, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, those are the questions that'll get answered next week. It's not like, oh, what's the best product? What's the best vape pen? What's the best edible? It's not about that. Um, now, based on past experience, there will maybe some samples, maybe some samples. Um, actually, this might be, I think it's the first time we're doing a cannabis event in New York. So I don't know about that because we've done them in, in Toronto, in Chicago and in Miami, but I don't think we've done one in New York before. So I'm not sure how that impacts things as far as samples are concerned. Um, but it, honestly, it's a pretty chill conference. It's not like a super stuffy, like not a lot of suits, right? It, it's cannabis, right? It, it's chill. And everyone there is interested in the industry and wants to make money. And so if that's you, then it's for you. Yeah, if, it, if, it's not, if it's not, then that's fine. And this, this specific conference is actually uh, hybrid. So if you're unable to make it in person, you are able to sign up virtually. Um, I'm going to go ahead and drop that link in the chat for anyone interested. Um, because I know I won't be there in person, but I will still be tuning in to, to some of these keynote speakers um, and seeing what some of these companies have to say virtually. Again, link is in. Please check it out if you have not already. Um, okay, Spencer, well, let's talk about the markets today. So right now I, I have yep. Tesla pulled up on my screen. Tesla, of course, had, had an investor call last night. Um, it yep. looks like the stock is trading slightly lower, down about 1.5%, which is not a, a terribly big move for Tesla, which is, of course, um, historically very volatile. Well, you know um, what's interesting? Wait, wait, wait. Don't don't, still, uh, don't leave this chart. Don't, don't leave this chart. This, te- this chart, look how quiet Tesla's been, right, in the last, what is that, couple weeks? Um, this is going back to actually... Well, I, no, I, I see what's going back, but like, just look oh, at the ranges. Right here. Look how quiet Tesla's been. Is that is that since that's the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, Tesla's been super quiet. That, yeah, that, I mean, that's, I, you don't see that from Tesla very often. I mean, even this whole move up that we can see the sustained uptrend, it's been kind of like a slow grind up, which we were, of course, used to to more moves like this with Tesla, where it just shoots up, you know, ten percent a day and then down a little bit, and then ten you know, whatever. It, whereas this time it, it's been more of a steady ride up. Um, so, so definitely some interesting price actions to watch on Tesla. I think right here, Spencer will be an interesting, uh, you know, line in the sand per se to watch um, because we, we have some slowing down in the upward momentum. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we maybe come back down and, and test these support levels down here. But if we can, you know, break through of this channel that it's been trading in, as you, as you mentioned the past week or, or two weeks or so kind of been trading sideways, then, um, you know, we, we could potentially run up and, and meet these these previous, uh, you know, resistance spots. Wait, A.B., here's what I want you to do. I want you to, like, only look at the last couple weeks, and then I want you to bring up, uh, like, I want you to compare it to 
like if you could you could bring it like overlay of the chart on top of it like apple and facebook and a couple other fang stocks if you can uh yeah i i just want to see uh because tom brady is saying tesla's trading like the mega caps but i i'm not i'm not sure it is really because tesla's so yeah, here, relatively strong here's uh whoa here's apple in in purple here right uh, so, so we can see kind of a divergence there apple yeah. has been going down this past month or so uh tesla has been going up l- l- let's do uh facebook real quick yeah oh facebook i'm sure is even more pronounced because facebook's been been uh been having a a rough go over the past couple weeks yeah facebook and apple's charts actually look pretty similar facebook well, and the blue. Well, well yeah if you zoom in though if you zoom in you'll see what i'm talking about like in the last month right? yeah yeah, yeah, so I, I yeah, I mean, it looks like Tesla is is, is kind of holding some relative strength against these other big name, uh, um, Fang stocks. Here, what's another one? Let's do Amazon, um, just to cover our bases. So we got Amazon in the yellow. So yeah, all, uh, Amazon, Facebook, Apple, all all look, which is surprising that you would expect Facebook to be a little bit more beaten down than the rest of them, which maybe in the last <laughs> week or so it has been, but, um. Yeah, Spencer, that's a good call. That that Tesla hasn't really been trading with these other Fang stocks. Um, let's see, Netflix maybe. Well, Netflix has also been strong. So, so Netflix and Tesla have been have been uh, moving together. Not that not to say that's for any reason, but they they're trending in the same direction right now. Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I I hear that. Who said that in in, in the chat? Carlos, Tesla hasn't been the same since it's been included in the spy. Uh, maybe that's a good thing, Carlos. Maybe that's a good thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think I, I don't think anyone. If you if you go remember what Tesla did last last fall, last winter, right after the split. I mean that was just insane. That move was just insane. So I think it's probably healthy. Those kinds of moves aren't healthy. I think was, I think a slow and steady wins the race. Uh, so okay, enough about Tesla. The, the the investor presentation was was whatever they're they're moving their headquarters to Texas, they're gonna expand capacity, blah blah blah. Um, but chart looks okay to me. What what else is on your radar here, AB? Oh, I'm just checking out Spy right now. It looks very flat today, almost exactly flat, down 0.02 percent um, after a, a couple strong days in a row this week. You know, it looks like today the market is kind of unsure of what what it wants to do. Um, Spencer, we, we've Wait, talked about this. Is, yeah, yeah. Zoom in more. Zoom in more. Yeah, because I want to see. So w- that gap, right? Was that from uh, the gap? No, to the left. Like, what was that last week? That was what oh, day right was here. that? Yeah, what day was that? That was the. This was back in, in September twentieth. Okay, but well, was... right, well, what about the next the next one down? That was last week, right? That was like Friday and Monday. The one right um, by... right here. Yeah, yeah that guy. Yeah, that was last uh no, last Friday was the 1st of October. So last Friday was right here. Okay, okay. Um so this was this was like the previous Okay. Uh, you know, Thursday, let's see. That was last Friday, Thursday, Wednesday. Okay. Tuesday, interesting, so- in- interesting. I I mean, it, it looks like we kind of filled that and I kind of want to see us hold the hold the lows from the, the uh if that's today or yesterday, I can't tell which, but uh whatever that low is in the last couple of days. Yeah, I mean, you know, Spencer, we've talked about this before. If, if you know, are we going to potentially see SPY come all the way back up here to the, uh, you know, $453 level before the end of the year? 
which right now it's, it's not looking great, but all it takes is, is a little bit of momentum, some strong green days in a row. And next thing you know, we're talking about, you know, potentially reaching all time highs again. Of course, we've had a lot of people uh, calling for a correction and, and zooming out on this chart. We can see that this uh, quote unquote correction coming from early September when we did reach those all time highs has been a little bit more sustained um, than other dips that we've seen on the way up, you know, even, even compare it back to, uh, you know, here in March, that this was only in March, three or four red candles. Here we had one, two, three, four red candles in a row, uh, you know, a, a little green candle here and then three more red candles. So it, it's definitely been a bigger move down than just some of these quick little dip, dip and then rips that follow those dips. Um, so, so we'll have to watch this Spencer to see if right here, some people are calling this a, a bull trap, but I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm like the markets right now, Spencer. I'm un, undecided. Okay. I, I still think we're going to see a new all time high by the end of the year. But that being said, our, our, our first guest is here. We have to try to stay on track today because we got a lot, we got a lot of people. So, uh, our first guest, Aaron and I were just talking about the cannabis conference next week. Our next guest will be at the Cannabis Capital Conference next week. She is the CEO of TrueLeave, Kim Rivers. AB, can we get her on here? Yes, sir. Let's go ahead and bring Kim Rivers, CEO of TrueLeave, on the show. Kim, welcome to Zinga Power Hour. How are you doing on this Friday? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so as Spencer mentioned, we have the cannabis conference coming up next week. Yeah. Uh, are you excited? I, I'm excited. I mean, I can't believe like I'm going to be s- somewhere other than behind a computer. So wait, really? wait, Kim, Kim, is, is, is this going to be your first in-person event? This is my first in-person conference. Yeah. So, oh, you know, it's no better way to get it started, right? Than, uh, all, than with Benzinga. So, yeah. We, excited we, have to, we have to all remember how to, like, behave in, in a conference. I setting. know. I know. I've I, The whole thing, right? Like, I've been thinking about, like, hey, do I do elbow thing? Like, high, air high fives? I'm not sure, but we'll figure it out, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, Kim, we, we, we asked you here to talk about, uh, you know, our conference, but also to talk about... Uh, the headline from, I, I, I guess it was last week now, you guys have officially closed the acquisition of Harvest Health and Recreation. Uh, give us the details there. Yeah, so uh, just had a few things going on. Um, we we uh, we announced, of course, a um, I think the largest and lowest rate uh, public debt financing, um, $350 million at a straight 8%. And then right on the heels of that, um, announced the closing of, um, I think, the largest cannabis, U.S. cannabis deal um, to date, so of Harvest Health and Recreation. So it's been uh, it's been quite a time here at Truly. We wouldn't have it any other way. Um, we're so excited to be welcoming um, the Harvest team into the Truly family. Um, of course, uh, strategically, it was a very uh, transformational deal and will be a very transformational deal for Truly as a combined company. Um, we will be the market leader from, of course, a profitability perspective. Um, we'll be neck and neck, we think, on the revenue line as well. And, and margins, we should be a leader there too. Um, and then on the um, strategic and operational front, 
will be uh, certainly the largest from a dispensary footprint um, with uh, 149 uh, dispensaries across our combined platform, um, which is about, I think it's uh, 40 or so percent above our next closest competitor. And then when we look at capacity and cultivation, um, we'll have approximately a million square feet more uh, than a competitor, about 50 percent more with about 3.1 million square feet. And really, it's not just about where we are today, but of course, how this deal uh, and platform sets us up for growth in the future as we're strategically uh, poised in three main hubs, the Southeast, the Northeast, and the Southwest, uh, to take advantage of state-level catalysts as well as future federal catalysts that we believe are coming uh, again through uh, a hub model uh, with really strategic distribution being a, a very key driver for us. To talk about the hub model for a second there, because it, it, yeah. it, it seems, yeah, because you got everyone, if you don't know True Leave, you guys are, are, are your largest market is, is Florida, correct? Yeah, so Florida is where we got our start, um, right. and it's our it's where we're headquartered. Um, I'm a you know born and raised Floridian, so um, in Florida pre presented a unique opportunity for us when we were getting started. In that, um, you know, due to the regulatory requirements in Florida, we were actually able to achieve true scale, and that's something that we really leaned into. So back in 2019, when a lot of other companies were um, kind of in the land grab mentality, uh, we took a look at our, internally at ourselves and had a couple of hard conversations. Um, first, we decided that we simply weren't ready uh, to do something uh, transformational. We didn't have, uh, we didn't feel the depth in people or systems um, to be able to. Uh, effectively onboard um, another uh, large-scale uh, company. And then secondly, um, we wanted to develop our strategic thinking around expansion um, at a deeper level. And so we spent really the last year and a half doing both of those things. Um, and in Florida, um, you know, we were able to, you know, currently we have uh, 92 stores now. We just opened, we just actually repositioned the harvest store, our first harvest store yesterday. We have another one today um, in terms of our Florida footprint and a couple million square feet of cultivation. And when we made the decision, instead of, you know, looking externally, but really focusing internally uh, back in at that time, we also decided to double down on Florida. And what that allowed us to do is to understand supply chain start to finish. Um, and also, of course, um, you know, build up our, our balance sheet and our financial profile as, um, you know, Florida allowed us to uh, to maintain, again, industry-leading margins and uh, really pull from uh, that cash flow from operations into our expansion strategy. And so um, as we, again, developed our, and that's where the hub model started. And so we really decided that that scale and being able to operate at scale was going to be very important as the landscape changes over time. And so while we can't transport cannabis products across state lines, we can transport everything else. So from talent, from, um, you know, equipment, Equipment in some cases, certainly packaging. Um, we have our own nutrient program that we've developed in-house, SOPs, trainings, et cetera. Um, so really having those centers that we can build around and teams that we can build around across the U.S. as it's divided into regions, um, that's the strategy that we that we aligned around. And you saw starting to execute on that strategy with um, the Northeast expansion, with Pennsylvania and Maryland and Connecticut. And of course, Harvest takes that concept and really um, expands it um, by adding, of course, a new, a new region for us in the Southwest. Uh, they're the market leader in Arizona, as well as they have additional retail in uh, California, production in uh, Nevada, production in Colorado. Um, of course, we add to our Northeast footprint with um, an expanded platform in Pennsylvania, as well as adding Maryland uh, to the market um, and some other and some other markets up in the North Northeast. And then, of course, we are able to offset some capex uh, in Florida with their uh, cultivation production. Then, of course, retail footprint here as well. And I think that it shouldn't be um, overlooked that both Florida, both uh, True Leave and Harvest have had 
great success from an applications perspective as well. And so we'll be looking to, to continue our growth, of course, not only through uh, continued expansion organically, but also through um, applications and new markets. The Southeast has got a ton of markets to turn on, as well as, of course, uh, some strategic M&A. Uh, Kim, for a while there, it seemed like it, M&A got a little quiet. Uh, do, uh, do you expect to, is it just like a, a land grab now? Do you expect uh, M&A to pick up and just more and more? It's basically what you guys did is, is you, you acquired a smaller MSO. Do you just expect more of that in the next couple of years? Uh, I mean, I think it really depends on the particular strategic positioning of the company. Um, for us, and in, in truly, I think we've been very transparent in terms of our criteria that we look at, that we look at, and how we evaluate M and A. We've been very disciplined in terms of how we've executed M and A over the years. Um, you know, a number of these transactions take time. I think I've disclosed in the past, PeerPen, for example, which is our processor cultivator in um, Pennsylvania, that transaction took about a year um, for us to really make sure. It's, it's it, look, I mean, it's a family-owned business, um, so you know. Oftentimes, it's kind of a start-stop process to some of the M&A that happens behind the scenes. Um, but for us, we're going to be we're going to look to continue to build out hubs. We, um, you know, have also the Central and Northwest hub yet to be built out, um, along with making sure that we are achieving again true scale and depth in the markets that we do operate in. And um, we think that it's really important not just to be in a in a market to you know check off a state on the map, but to actually provide true access and uh, true penetration um, to that market in as scaled a way as possible. Of course, given uh, given the regulatory regimes that are particular in each state. And, and Kim, before we let you go here, just what is the next catalyst? For, it can be for you or for the industry because the, the the acquisition closed and that uh, you know that that was a big deal. But are yep. we just all are we waiting on safe banking now or, or what? Yeah, I mean, I think again, it depends on your vantage point. Um, I think that for us, you know, demand has never been been stronger. We're seeing, you know, patient and customer growth across all of our markets. Um, certainly, there are a number of markets that are poised to go wreck, which can be a huge catalyst for those particular states. Uh, so when we look um, in the Northeast, of course, Connecticut is about to go wreck. Um, Maryland, also, there's a lot of conversation right now happening in Pennsylvania. Um, we all know what's happening in in New York, New Jersey. So the Northeast is, is in terms of a um, a region. Uh, there are a lot of, I, I believe, near-term catalysts happening there. Um, and then we have, again, new markets that are coming online, which I think um, is, is certainly a, you know, significant um, for the industry application processes. I would say that state-level catalysts um, are more, for sure, of a, of a sure thing in the near term than necessarily, you know, broad, broad-range, you know, federal catalysts. I think what that does is it it puts everyone back into a position where we have to operate smart. Um, we have to make sure that we're um, being good stewards of capital, that we're we're very specific in terms of the ROI of dollars invested in markets, and that we're making strategic decisions that are best for um, for our shareholders and, of course, for for our business. But overall, again, um, you know, the business and the, and the market has never been stronger. And I think that in terms of you know federal change, certainly safe banking and potentially safe banking plus looks poised to go. Um, but we have to, you know, we have to somehow break break through the uh, the kind of you know standoff posturing that we've got right now between between the House and Senate, which I'm I'm hopeful um, will happen, you know, prior to the midterms. All right. Kim Rivers, CEO of TrueLeave. Uh, Kim, we will see you next week. Yes. At our Cannabis Capital Conference. Very exciting. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank a lot. you, Kim. See ya. All right. I, I see Hot Stocks Luke in the background. He's he's lurking. He's lurking. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, gosh. Luke, fix your microphone, man. Rohan. Come on. Come on. This Rohan. is Bush League. I, I'm here with – it's bad enough that I'm here without a camera. <laughs>
All right, let's try Wait, one more time. Is, is he fixed? Do we have it? I thought Hello? that I fixed it. Yeah, we fixed it. Did All, I, fixed it. All right, yeah. Jesus, just give me two minutes, okay? Uh, okay, okay. I got to manage, manage Aaron Bree while you're out, you know, having a fever. I, I do not have a fever. I have a lingering cough, some congestion, but uh, no fever. Everything is mostly okay. Uh, our next guest is, is uh, has a title that I think we all could probably have. His title is Director of Investor Intelligence, which I think between the three of us, we we don't have much of that. We probably have some good investor intelligence if you combine all three of us. So all right, look at this, Spency. This is why I wanted you to stay on for a second. What, what's up? I, I hit a hell of a lick this week. GM. Oh, look at the, wait, the GM, uh, the October 15th calls. At the money, wow. let's very nice. I, I, I told I told Aaron Bree I have not been trading at all, and I just wanted to put some major YOLOs down there. So we we just we went out, we bought some at the money calls on GM expiring in the very short term. We we, we went deep into some of the crypto stocks that, that weren't moving, uh, and and we hit some major licks this week. So so Great. so the thesis here was on 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 Tuesday we had good news come out from uh, GM in regards to, to the company's revenue and, and uh, their EV and the stock hadn't moved off the news yet. Um, so, so, you know, that that's what we do here at Benzing is we, is we deliver the news. We, we try to do it faster than everyone else. And so it, it's interesting when you have what should be a positive catalyst for a stock and then the stock doesn't end up moving. Um, you can kind of get out ahead of it, which is what we were able to do here. So uh, Luke, great trade. Boom. That, that was exactly it. I was going to say, don't convolute my YOLO trades with theses, but that was the thesis, uh, was that stock didn't move, monster news, analyst ratings are going to come out, hit the short, the, the at the money short-term calls, and, and the, they, they went for us. Nice 300% in two days. That that portfolio was strange. I saw GameStop, I saw Home Depot, I saw Genius Brands. You got some weird stuff <laughs> in there, man. We, and you saw FXI, I got ETFs in there too, baby. Oh, sure you do. Sure you do. Hey. All right. Now, now, now let's bring on our next guest. He's been patiently waiting. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's the one who's actually going to be able to give us insights versus me just feeling the need to have some energy in my life and, and hit some of these trades. You just want to feel something. What's going on, man? Hi, guys. <laughs> How's it going? Going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Hundred percent, and and for everybody out there who doesn't know, so 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 Ed is coming to us from from a company called Similar Web, and, and for us as publishers, Similar Web is something that that we're very familiar with. Uh, you know, it, it's a tool that we use on a regular basis, um, but but I imagine that there are a lot of folks out there um, who who are not publishers. And may not know what similar web does and, and how it can be helpful for us in the investing space. So, so Ed, can, can you tell us what similar web is? Sure thing. So I, I come from the part of the business with a totally different use case on how you guys are using the tool. Overall. That's fine. So right. um, come so, from a more interesting part of the business. Okay. The investing part, obviously, obviously. So, uh, so similar web, we provide web and app traffic data. Um, so we provide estimation data. So virtually every single website in the world, uh, we have an algorithm that estimates how many people are visiting that website, uh, how long they're spending on that website, um, what words they're searching for to get on there, 
and we can even have granularity on how many people are visiting like a conversion page like a transaction page how many people are logging in we can even look at number of customers on these websites as well. wait I, I have a i have a question for ed ed how how many uh people have been to aussie.com in the last couple of weeks and aussie.com i mean i can quickly look, look <laughs> this up as well i'll look this up as i'm speaking and i'll come back to aussie.com okay, i'm sure okay, it's probably okay. actually gone up since it's gone in the news sure um so uh, yeah so, so yeah so um as a business we are like we're traditionally selling to uh kind of companies like uh yourselves at, at bazinga uh so publishers that were looking to basically look what other publishers like aussie uh how many uh how many people are visiting their website or even what words people are searching uh to get to that um about three or four years ago we suddenly started finding that there was actually a large use from the investment industry who are basically looking to use the same data to get an early read in what companies are reporting. So to give an example, it could be uh, investors looking at like Netflix to be, so our data is delivered in pretty much real time. Uh, we have a one, one or two day lag from when the actual event happened. So we would have a read on let's say Netflix's web traffic or Facebook's web traffic um, three, two days ago. So way ahead of when these businesses are actually releasing the financial results. So we've been saying, uh, uh, do, do, do you mind if I just hop in really quick? Yes, go for it. Okay. So, so, so uh, like, let's use your Netflix example, right? Because you're, you're talking about Netflix's web traffic. Uh, do you have insights into other platforms as well? Like, like, like the app traffic that Netflix may get or um, a smart TV or anything along those lines? So we don't actually have, uh, so we have some form of app traffic. It's not as comprehensive as our web traffic data. We can see basic stuff like monthly active users, daily active users, uh, but like overall usage, we can't see TV. Uh, but with alternative data sets like ours, what you're essentially trying to do is get a proxy to what the actual is going on in the business, essentially. So you're trying to correlate web traffic data to actual business performance. So with app data that is available, so third-party estimation app data, um, you can look at usage on it, like monthly active users, but you can't actually look at transactions. With web data, you can look at transactions uh, and you can look at usage. So the thing that we can see on Netflix is the number of people who are signing up, or the number of people are visiting the sign-up page, and also the number of people who are canceling as well. So we can actually look at net ads, and we actually have a very good correlation overall with net ads for Netflix. So we can see how many people are net ads in every market pretty much that operating. So US, India, UK, France, Germany. So you can get a level of granularity, which not even these companies are reporting themselves. I love that geography breakdown. That's awesome. So, so I mean, a, a very cool insight that uh, we had on Netflix a couple of years ago uh, was um, we were able to, like Netflix, I think it was 2019, they were slowing down an in international growth. Um, and we caught this before anyone in the markets had seen this because we had seen uh, net subscriber trends were actually decelerating. Um, and actually, this had an impact on the overall stock price of Netflix um, based off our data, having that early read before Netflix released the results. And can you tell us like what, what are the uh, tre top trending you know, websites right now or brands right now? It, it could be uptrend or downtrend. Um, so I would say from the e-commerce space, one of the most interesting sites that we're looking at right now is uh, Shopify. 
in general. So uh, and so Shopify works. Um, there's two ways of looking at Shopify websites. So it's either um, websites that have the subdomain something myshopify.com or websites that have a technology, a Shopify technology on these sites as well. And um, an interesting insight that we actually put out recently is that when we looked at all the available Shopify domains, uh, the ones that had Shopify in the, the URL and ones that just had the technology, uh, total visits to all of these sites now surpasses Amazon visits as well, uh, which is super cool because this is the first time we've actually ever seen uh, any competitor to Amazon overtake Amazon in any way or even grow market share. So Amazon is actually losing visit market share. So that's slightly different from sales market share, but the fact that Shopify is getting a bigger reach is phenomenal. And we think this is basically driven by the fact that Shopify is giving D2C brands like mom and pop shops the ability to sell directly to consumers and without such stringent, stringent sellers terms that Amazon actually has as well. Um, so, Ed, I mean, I assume with something, you know, we, we've thrown out a couple examples with different companies out there, but let's take a, a you know, company maybe like Six Flags, like an amusement park. Is it as yeah. simple as seeing um, so how they're performing? So to be honest, uh, I very honest, I haven't actually tracked how they're, they're doing. So the way that alternative data essentially works and what investors are doing with alternative data sets like ours, they're basically putting together different pieces of the puzzle um, and putting that all together to kind of understand what a business is doing. So a business like Six Flags, how do they operate? They, well, they sell tickets either directly on their website um, or they sell tickets at the door. When you go to a theme park, you buy it on the door. Um, or they might sell it through like a referral partner or something like that. So web traffic on its own isn't necessarily the best way to understand how a business like Six Flags is performing. If you were to really understand how Six Flags is performing as an investor, investors will be buying things like credit card data. So tracking credit card spend uh, either online or at the the door uh, or at the gates of Six Flags at all. So we can see like rough trends that website visits for Six Flags are kind of recovering post pandemic, but it's not really the best reads to track a business like that. But as you're thinking about building out the service, right? And continuing to provide more for investors, something that would be helpful for a business like a Six Flags is if you would just stand outside the gate, you know, you just tally up the people as they walk in, you know, it's like, like you know, they're counting and reporting that back to us. But. So, 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 okay, so that's the very old school way of doing alternative data. This is what hedge funds were doing about 10, 15 years ago, literally just counting cars in a car parking lot. Uh, the more modern way of doing this would actually be looking at geolocation. So rather, rather than uh, having someone actually counting, um, there are data providers like Placer and Advan that basically track uh, movements from people's sales phones. So what hedge funds will be looking to do to track the performance of Six Flags will be looking at the number of people um, in physically located in, the, in these theme parks and tracking that over time. And then you combine that with credit card data and then you combine that with website traffic data and you get a full picture of actually what is actually happening for a business like Six Flags. Yeah, Ed, Ed, you mentioned it. That, that's always the data that I think of when I think of alternative data is the hedge funds that would, would buy you know the satellite images of, of car parking lots and seeing how many cars are, are in which lots, if, if more cars are in Walmarts th than they were, um, you know, a couple months ago. So 
Um, and I'm curious, who who's currently using this data um, from SimilarWeb? Is it mostly on the institutional side? So um, we 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 do have we do have a mixture actually as well. So I would say our, when we started building this out, our kind of our core market was institutional investors. Um, we're used by hundreds of hedge funds. We are cited um, in equity research reports by about 20 Wall Street firms. Uh, think City, Barclays, UBS, uh, um, um, JP Morgan. Uh, our data is regularly being cited in these reports. And actually, they're making calls on companies based off our data as well, like changing if it's a buy, sell, or a hold based off similar web data. Um, we also sell to VC funds as well, private equity fund too. Um, but we are seeing more and more individual investors starting to buy our data as well. They either could be kind of more quantitative uh, traders, uh, but we're also seeing retail investors beginning to start to use our free tool to kind of get a read on what's going on in companies overall. So something that would be great, Ed, and, and you know, I don't know how far along you guys are with the retail investor strategy, but we should figure out some way where we can pull our data together and, and create some sort of retail signal because we get... The only users we get are tens of millions of retail traders every single month. Um, and again, I know similar web from the publisher standpoint, and I've used it for my directional stock trading for years and think it's something that, that's very powerful. Even just like, you know, the, the free level data that I get where it's the number of visitors to the website over time. I always check that out. Um, so, so I would imagine that there's, there's some sort of really cool product or, or reporting, et cetera, we could do. I mean, I would definitely, I would definitely love to see how we can explore that together as well. And like, and I can tell you from a product strategy, definitely in the medium to long term, we're thinking about how do we go in more into the retail market. But look, I, I definitely think, like Luke, as you said, like using data like ours, I think a lot of people make it sound much more complicated than it actually is in terms of actually using alternative data as part of an investment process. Essentially, I see data usage as really like two things. One, which is does it tell you some, something that you did not know beforehand? So is a company like Lululemon, uh, well, actually Peloton's a good example. Like you could use basic web traffic data to see that Lululemon visit, uh, sorry, Peloton visits, sorry. Peloton visits are declining, sorry. Um, and then you will get an early read as in Q2 that the business is no longer so strong as it was during the pandemic. The other major use of data really is, does it, as Luke, I think as you're using it, is does it confirm my hypothesis on the company? Is the company growing? Is the web traffic data still going up? Yes, it is. Um, and that's how you anyone can use the data. And we actually do have a, a, a free tool that anyone can use and download. Uh, if you go to the Google Chrome store, you can download our similar web plugin and you can get six months, six months of uh, free web traffic data. And anyone can do that. Oh, that's, that's great. And, 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 and you're, you're spot on with how I, I use it. And, and there was a comment that was just up on the screen a second ago, which I think fits in perfectly with this. It's okay. So, so the comment is, if you want to know why you're holding a stock, you shouldn't hold it. And in, in like sort of that, that paradigm of thinking um, is where I leverage a similar web data personally, you know, is like, okay, I have this thesis uh, I'm going through my portfolio. I want to check if this thesis is still true, right? Is is the reason why I bought the stock still holding? Um, and that's where seeing, yeah, okay, it's still getting more popular. There's, there's progressively more people. Uh, it's an accelerating rate of change of users. And that's where I think the, you know, the, the similar web data can be so powerful. Definitely. 
Yeah, and I will say I'm I'm bummed that that I learned you guys have this business line and you're out here telling people about it because I thought it was like my edge. I'm sorry. Forget that's everything I said. <laughs> Luke, Luke, that's that's Ed's job. Come on now, he you know, but uh, you know. Luke, e extrapolating off that and using like a tangible example, I know earlier in the year after, uh, uh, you know, when Trump came out of office, we were talking about shorting New York Times because our thesis was people are going to be visiting New York Times uh, less, you know, and, and that's, you know, a, a tangible example where we can go in and see the traffic going to New York Times' uh, homepage and seeing, okay, is, is our thesis correct? Are there less monthly viewers than there were a couple months ago? Um, and, and so... You know, I don't know exactly how uh, some of our audience may use this data, if it's to try to find trade ideas or to just either confirm um, or, or essentially, you know, deny their, their thesis that they have on, on a certain company. So I would say the, the, cha the challenge that we've also had with our data. So we've been a business that started selling to kind of corporates and publishers and has moved into selling to the investor space. So one of my jobs and remits is how do we translate the online world into basically tracking the stock market? And there's a lot of uh, changes you need to do the data. You need to map domains to tickers as well. You need to organize the data in a certain way uh, for it to be really be valuable for investors. Once we're kind of once we've done the organization of the data uh, in a certain way, it's it will be much easier to use this as an ideation tool. So to be able to like find which stocks and trending. So you can do that with our data right now. It just takes a level of organization uh, that the kind of the product, which we're developing the product to be working towards. Uh, and that's one of our big initiatives actually next year. So I would say in general, like the best way to use data like ours is if you're tracking a load of stocks anyway, seeing che checking for inflections, which you did not expect or really just basically using the same, the data, web tra website traffic data to provide you with more confidence in your thesis. Like the New York Times, is it gonna be underperforming now because no one's tracking Trump? You could use that easily to confirm that thesis. Yep. Uh, all right, Ed, well, thank you for, for joining us, taking time out of your Friday to join us on the Power Hour. I know we discussed, you know, maybe you coming on uh, again subsequently ahead of certain companies' data where we can actually take a, a deep dive using- yes, I love that. Um, into companies before data, so so, uh, or companies before earnings. So so, thanks again for for joining us, um, and I hope you have a great Friday and weekend. Thank you. And do you want the Aussie media uh, statistic? Oh, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. yes. So, I'm I'm curious. Interestingly, so web traffic to Aussie media tripled last week. So basically, the whole thing right now has been an amazing marketing campaign for them. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic! Yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you so much for, for for that insight. I I had a feeling, I had a feeling, but 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 now, now I know for sure. Fantastic! Thanks for having me in the show. All right, thanks for having Bye. All right, Luke, did you learn? Oh no, Luke, Luke, Luke dipped out. Wait, what? What, what was the? Why? Why the question about Ozzy? I, I think I might have missed something. Oh, do you not know about that from last week, man? Ozzy Media, like, do do you know what that is? First of all. Do you know what I went to the is? website after you mentioned it. I don't think I've ever been here on this oh. website before. Oh, that's well. That's see that right there is the, is the very problem. Um, they're uh, one of those new media websites, and then they the company kind of imploded last week. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'll send you a link about it. Basically, it's a it's 
it, they tried to be like like Vice, but they had no traffic. And then uh, the New York Times wrote an article about how they were on a call with Goldman Sachs because Goldman Sachs was trying to invest in them. And then the the president of the company impersonated the head of YouTube. It was, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Who do anyway. you? Okay, so, so you're relating Ozzy to a to like a Vice like outlet yeah vice like but but not but never quite able to build an audience the fact that you hadn't been there is 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 the point um but not that being said, never been there i've never even heard of it all right yeah, yeah that's, we're running behind. that's that's the problem <laughs> so okay wait we're, yeah we're running behind let's bring on our next guest here because I, I i see him here uh backstage dennis calvert the ceo of biolargo uh let's uh, let's get dennis on the show here dennis how are we doing Th- thank you for hey. taking time out of your friday to join us on benzinga's power hour Oh, it's my pleasure, Aaron Spencer. Great to be here. Great show. Love it, Dennis. Yeah, tell yeah. us, tell us what you're working on right now. Oh man, there's a lot going on at Biolargo. You know, we we've got a journey of innovation that's a little over a decade, and uh, you know, heavy R and D, uh, some somewhat painful journey. I mean, you know, as I always say, we're doing some of the hardest work in the world. We're we're solving problems that other people can't solve. And so our such, mission is such as such as well, so like PFAS, PFAS, where we developed a technique for taking fluorinated compounds, which are called forever chemicals out of water and out of soil. And if you look, if you do a little Internet search, you'll see that that's estimated to be about an 80 billion dollar emerging market a year. Some people call it a trillion dollar market. Uh, PFAS has been detected in water streams all over the world, mostly in industrialized uh, concentrated areas. And it turns out that's forever chemical. Nature won't break it down. So what happens is it sticks around and sticks around and sticks around. It was used for 38 years in nonstick coatings. There's been lawsuits and massive litigation all over the world. It's called the contaminant of the decade. It's in your body. It's in your cosmetics. It's in your food. It's in your food packaging. And it's in your water. And it turns out in concentration, it causes, it's been linked, not a causation. It's been linked to adverse health effects like cancer and birth defects. So, you know, in our backyard, we're, we're headquartered in Westminster, California. We've got operations in Tennessee and Canada and Denver. We got a lot going on at Biolargo. Uh, we set out about two years ago, got a grant from the EPA, developed a technique for extraction, and it's really pretty phenomenal. It's, a, it's in its commercial phase now, commer- first commercial trials. We're working with two of the largest, most prominent customers in the world. And we'd like to get that thing launched in Q1 2022. And uh, it's a massive opportunity for the company. And it's, you know, years in the making, of course. So that's just one. We've got more. <laughs> so so it, it, is this just a case of, I mean, I, I, I feel like whatever you're developing would have to get some kind of EPA appro- approval yeah. or something like that, right? Well, in this case, yeah, it's actually a little different. In this case, you just got to get it out. They test before and they test after, and if it's out, it's out. Okay. So it's really interesting, and it's you know the big there's a big there's a number of challenges. It's in industrial water, it's in municipal water. Uh, you know, in Orange County, California, that's my backyard. Within 40 minutes of our office, there's 40 wells that have been detected. So these wells supply drinking water. They're then processed, put into the drinking water system. Everybody drinks it. And they've detected uh, concentration levels above detection limits, which means they got to get it out. So what they do is they shut down the well. So just think about that. They can't sell water with PFAS in it. So they stop selling it. Then they have to buy water somewhere else. And this is a desert. California is a desert. Water crisis in California is the real deal. And so in this local market, the cost to treat total uh, to remove that PFAS and deliver clean water is estimated to be about $1.5 billion. 
And again, I mention that because that's within 40 minutes of my office. And this is a global problem. It's all over the world. And so this is just one of the emerging market opportunities that's in our company. And we're in it to win it. So so the, it's really fascinating. Our slogan is we make life better. And so the, the simple version of the company is air, water, and earth. Right? All things environmental, all things sustainable, focused on solving big, big challenges. And it's a little over a decade of work, heavy R&D. One of our assets, a technology for... Uh, Micropollutants and water has received over a hundred grants. Hundred. Dennis, how long does one of these things take to, to bring to market one of these products? Well, the, that that asset's a, a six years actually. We have a medical products that we've also licensed into a subsidiary that's really prepared for a spin out. Uh, that asset's about six years of development. We've got some consumer products that had some early success and then a lot of pain. They're re-emerging with the right partners, which is awesome. And so those are about seven years of development work to get those positioned for significance. You know, we say significance, you know, each of these has a different threshold of opportunity, but, you know, PFAS is massive. So, so let me just give you some sense of that. When you go into the market, uh, one of the key assets in the company, about three years ago, we started our own engineer, engineering group. And fascinating, this group was a, a team that had worked together for 20 and 30 years all over the world and were technical support for one of the largest engineering firms in the world. And we had a chance to come in and do some development work. They had a big bad event corporate that was the Chicago Bridge and Iron, CBNI, had an implosion about three years ago. And when that happened, 18,000 people got a pink slip. You think about it, 18,000 people had spent their career working for big companies. So our small entrepreneurial out of the box thinker, you know, innovator on the cutting edge of some of the most significant problems brought in this group all at once, significant risk. We took great financial risk. Well, that group is just killing it. These guys uh, have a team that have literally worked in some of the most high profile cases like pumping out New Orleans post Katrina, uh, the largest processor of dioxin remediation in the world, literally a thousand remediation projects under their belt as a career. And that's the core engine that brings solutions to bear and Biologos team that includes a host of scientists. So we've got about 36 people, something like seven PhDs and 11 engineers and, and wrapped in an entrepreneur spirit that says, let's focus on things that are meaningful, big challenges that have, that will move the needle financially. Got it. Got so it. we're, we're at an apex as a company, sort of this breakout moment where, revenue of significance is right at hand and the evidence is everywhere. You know, just a few weeks ago, we announced, uh, you know, our engineers picked up another, I don't know, 1.2 million in contracts. You said, oh, what's 1.2 million? Well, that was in one week. One week. Not one. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to keep tabs on that. Uh, you said you, you expect uh, more in the first quarter. Dennis Calvert uh, from BioLargo. Uh, Dennis, we're up against the clock here, but thanks for, for coming on Power Hour today. Symbol BLGO. Thanks, guys. All right. See you. Uh, we have somehow managed to stay more or less on time today, AB. I don't know how you and I have done it, but uh, uh, I, I, I do see our next guest here. You want you want to bring Mr. Quast on? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's bring Mr. Quast on. I just got the BioLogo chart pulled up here. Like yeah. uh, Dennis mentioned, ticker BLGO. Stock is currently trading at about 18 cents. Seems like it's been pretty, uh, you know, as quiet as it can be over the last, you know, four months or so trading in this range from about 
15 cents up to 22. So I, I, I like to see Spencer, I don't know about you, but I like to see some consolidation trading sideways sometimes for a stock like this. Um, but all right, enough of me bloviating. Yeah, enough of that. Time to bring on Mr. Tim Quats. Let, let, let's bring on someone who actually knows who he's talking about. Tim. <laughs> um, I don't know if this guy qualifies, but... <laughs> Well, bloviating is one of my favorite words because I do a lot of it. So I'm glad that you uh, used that, A.B. Spencer, nice to see you. Tim, I know you can't see me, but you can hear me. I can't. Well, I I see your face. That's all that matters. frozen in time. Well, you're not actually speaking to Spencer. You're speaking to Spencer's AI, but it's it's close enough. That's handy. It's close enough. Tim, I got to get your reaction to... Actually, no, not your reaction to the number, your reaction to the reaction to the jobs number today. Well, number one, I find it fascinating that the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which produces that data, uh, a government bureau, has any credibility. I mean, if we as a as a data analytics company missed a number by 60 percent, we would have zero credibility. How can you have an expectation of 500,000 and deliver a number of 200,000? And of course, I can't direct all of the uh, uh, the recrimination at the BLS because it's all the, the economists who then project, who say, well, we think it's going to be 500,000 uh, and, and then it's two. Uh, you could flip a coin and do better. So apologies to, you know, so uh, uh, I I know Mark Zandi at, uh, at Moody's and... Uh, Austin Goolsby at the University of Chicago and Rick Santelli at, at CNBC. I, I have gotten to know all those people over the years. So I'm teasing them in part, but I do find it fascinating that those numbers are so often so wildly off. Uh, that's, my, that, that's my humorous reaction, Spencer. The, 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 the economic reaction, and we actually know a fair amount about this, is that it should be no surprise that there is a slowdown in jobs data, and then we'll talk about the ramification for traders, if what we're doing is diminishing the value of the capital input and discouraging the application of the labor input. It, services are, products and services are broadly, setting aside what the economists like to call total factor productivity, uh, and I'll keep this very simple, folks. Don't check out. You know, to, it takes money and people to create stuff and to provide services. And so if the value of money declines, it takes more money to produce the same stuff. And if the value of money declines, the cost of the labor input, what you have to pay people increases. Well, if both of those things happen, productivity, what is left over after you put people and money to work to create stuff, shrinks. Well, what will happen? This is not complex stuff to figure out. It will mean, despite the fact that we have a lot of job openings, there will be less and less capacity for businesses to pay what people want to be paid. And so then the the labor force shrinks, the people who want to actually get a job, they decide to live at a lower standard of living. And all of that feeds into a slowdown in our output. That's what happens. So then how could we possibly expect the economy to boom ahead? If the labor input is shrinking and the capital input is too, that's the problem. So now, what do we do as traders around that? Uh, You could say, well, I'm going to bank on the fact that no matter what I just described to you, which is the truth, (laughs) 
that we're going to believe that the economy is somehow going to grow 6%. And so I'm going to bet that there is a long-term opportunity in the, in the equity market. Look, you can do that if you want. Uh, but I think what was illustrated today is you can have a very bad number. And in the space of 30 seconds, while CNBC's panel was talking about it, the Dow Jones Industrial Average futures went from 50 points up to about 50 points down. And before the sentence was over, they were up 70 points. <laughs> so what is the connection between jobs and how stocks behave? It used to be highly correlated today it is not well well i was gonna said. ask you there's a connection between the jobs there's some loose connection between the jobs number and the expectations for a rate hike and there is a connection between rate and between rates and how stocks perform so whether or not you know the today's number changes the picture at all i'm, I'm not i'm not quite sure it does uh, it seems like the market is expecting at least one hike in the next 12 13 months or so um but has your it doesn't seem like your position with regards to stocks has has changed well i'll tell you what we think about stocks and i'm going to do this with data because this is you know that we while the fed claims to be data driven it constantly changes the data that it uses to determine what drives it we don't we, we look at supply and demand in the equity market. Doesn't, you know, so all of these numbers, interest rates, uh, economic growth, uh, supply chain, uh, employment levels, all of those things are inputs into supply and demand. Money is the biggest. Uh, but supply and demand is a constant barometer of what to expect from the equity market. So uh, traders of you, this is very important because it will help you take gains and not chances. And that's what we want. Unless we can all get together and somehow change the conditions uh, that are affecting the unpredictability of outcomes, we're going to have to adapt to them. And I think that this is what we've done. We've provided a way to adapt to the fact that fundamentals are a, a shrinking input and that we don't know what effect an expectation for interest rate hikes will have. You know, when the Fed said we want to uh, begin to decrease our rate of asset purchases, once again, here's something that's important to know, traders. Uh, don't it's easy that you want to clear a room at a cocktail party, start talking about monetary policy. All of a sudden, people will have to pick up their children or whatever. So, it, But it's important to understand this, that the reason money is such a big input is because everything is denominated in it. You and I generally trade time for money. So when the Fed creates more money, Without the in, an increase in created time, then, then the amount of time we have to trade for money means that, that we, we're, our standard of living is going to shrink. If the value of the money that you and I trade our time for diminishes, then our standard of living declines over time. We have to work longer. So that's why it should concern you. We should all be concerned about this. You know, the, 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 uh, Coinage Act of 1792, the first action that Congress took on what the Constitution said about fixing the rate of exchange for our coin and foreign coin made it a death penalty felony to willfully alter the value of the currency. Well, now. Uh, okay. okay. All right. I, I, I think I think we're getting all we're getting off a little off course here. I'm trying to bring, let's I'm bringing it all around. All right, OK. Yes. With, these are important things that people need to understand, okay. because if you don't understand why the value of money matters, you're going to lose as a trader. That's the problem. You have to understand the relationship, and it begins with some background. So now it's, it, our policy is to do what we used to put people to death for, 
we alter, we willfully alter the value of the currency. Well, that's going to have a measurable effect on the value of risk assets. So now I'm going to answer your question. Here's what I think about that. So if we go look at uh, broad sentiment, we have this measure of, of supply and demand across the whole market. So here's my view, Spencer. This, the first half of this graph, I think you can see my screen here. Let me hide that. See these, these very high peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs for sentiment. This is for the S&P 500. That, that is a product of pushing an immense amount of money into the market to chase risk assets like stocks. So we had this very, very aggressive momentum market. Well, it stopped in April. So what we're experiencing now is a product of the slowdown of momentum then. It takes a while. It's like if you speed in your car, you do 100 miles an hour and you take your foot off the gas, it takes a while for the vehicle to slow down. But the event that causes the slowdown is you, you lifting your foot off the, the gas pedal. Well, that happened here. Now we're beginning to experience the effects of this. This top, this very weak top, I say weak tops precede drops. And it's because it's telling us that this, this drug, money that flooded into the market and consumed uh, risk assets and caused them to rise has run out. So then we're sitting here in this moment studying the jobs data and what the Fed's talking about when we should have been looking back here and saying, here's the problem. Here's when you have to begin to change your behavior about how to think about the market. That's the, that's the fact. So what do we do as traders? Well, you, you buy rising demand and you make sure that, you're out, that you sell falling demand. Buy rising demand, sell falling demand. Okay, you repeat so, so that can, process can, can over you, and over, and you can win. Can, can you like maybe show us one that has an example, like an example of that in practice? Well, let's look at cannabis. Since okay. you were just you were just talking with uh, Biolargo. Biolargo is an oh, over the county yeah. OT, OT, over the counter OTC. Yeah, I, I don't know how much data you'll have on that. I don't because, yeah. and by the way, FINRA is looking at making some requirements for order routing in that market, but it doesn't have the same. Uh, rules, uh, but we can look at cannabis as a group. So okay. here's cannabis as a group. So over the last 30 days, so five is your nexus. Five is above that, more demand than supply. Below that, more supply than demand. Over the last 30 days, there has been a clear bias to deteriorating demand. Short volume has been on an uptrend. So supply is increasing. Now, the last couple of days, there have been short covering in the group. But I would look at that and say, if you're interested in cannabis at the moment, don't buy it because money is withdrawing from cannabis. We'll wait to find a better time. If you wanna look at Tilray, probably the kingpin right now for that industry. It's a 1.8 out of 10, and the sentiment trend is down, and it's 47% short. You see that? Yeah. Here, right I'm, here, right here. 1.8, sentiment down, 46.9% short. That means almost half of its trading volume comes from borrowed stock. So if I look at the supply-demand equation, I'm not buying that. What I want is the reverse of that. The supply side is not bad. It's falling. But until demand increases, until this chart reverses and shows us a strong upward surge in demand, why take chances? It's not a good time to trade that stock. And you could come up with 100 reasons why it might be, and you'll still lose money on it. Now you say, well, what is my time frame? I think you have to adapt to the market. The market is a very short-term instrument, and if we want to be successful in it, that's how we have to think about it. Tim Quas is the founder and CEO of Market Structure Edge. 
give you guys thoughts on uh, stocks that have rising demand, falling demand, and uh, somehow talking about other things in the process. Tim. All boys, fits together. It all fits together. I will talk to you on Monday. We'll see you then. All right. Thank you, Spencer. A. Tim, happy to see you. Yeah, okay. have a great weekend. AB, before we go here, can we just do a real quick crypto update? I haven't. I, I know we've wanted to. To uh, there's been people in the chat talking about Sheeb. Can we pull up a crypto heat map and, and look at Sheeb for a second? Let's do it, Spencer. Um, yeah, I mean, so so we got well, Sheeb's not on the heat map, so I'll have to pull that up separately. Oh, it's not. It's not big enough to make the heat map. Not yet. Right. Um, not yet. But, not yet. So uh, all right, we can see here, Spencer, looking at the heat map. Um, let me give a couple zooms in. Bitcoin and Ethereum, obviously the two biggest cryptocurrencies, are, are trading slightly higher today. Ethereum outpacing Bitcoin up nearly a percent, while Bitcoin is up about a quarter of a percent. Solana having a strong day, up eight and a half percent. Dogecoin up up more than two percent. Uh, Litecoin is up as well. Ripple up slightly. Uh, who's in the red, Spencer? We have Cardano in the red. Ticker ADA is down about 0.75 percent. Internet computer i don't know if there's a more interesting name well there's a lot of interesting names for for computers yeah Yeah, insane clown posse um all right but let's go to uh wait so han so i see solano so my cost basis in solana is 106 92 you're you're looking pretty good it's at 167 right now hey i'm in the green um all right so let's check on shiba in the last 24 hours shiba is up 2%, 2%, let's zoom out a week, up 277% on the week, on the month, 350%. Um, now let's do Floki real quick, quick. Floki, Floki. Oh, I don't even know what this is. So, Spencer, do you know what type of dog uh, the Dogecoin, you know, meme was created off of? Yeah, it was a, it was a, she, something, right? It, it was, was a Shiba Inu. Shiba, right, yeah. So, so they, so they went out and created a Shiba Inu coin in honor of the dog that was created from Dogecoin. Okay. Um, do you know who, who's the most famous proponent, you could say, of Dogecoin? Elon Musk. And Elon Musk went out and bought a, a Shiba dog. And can you guess what he named it? This. Yes, this. Floki. <laughs> So the We've genius, come full it, circle. it comes full circle. Right. It comes full circle. We have, uh, wait, why does this not? Okay, here we go. Down here we can see. So in the last seven days, Floki, Floki coin um, is, is up 36% on the month, up 377%. Um, so yeah. Dude, it, this it, is it, insane. We, we are living in a simulation. Elon might might say so. This is insane. All right. Wow. Anyway. It's 102. Do we have, is Neil doing a show today? I think he is, right? Yeah, we're doing just a little uh, Friday fun day uh, uh, on Get All Technical. Right. Oh, my gosh. All right, AB, I'll, I'll let you go sit up for that, and I'll wrap it up here. Everyone, hopefully I'll be back on camera on Monday. I intend to be back on camera on Monday. Um, I'm getting some equipment delivered later today. Actually, AB is supposed to deliver some equipment to me. So I can stream from my from my apartment for the next few days while I'm stuck in COVID quarantine. Uh, please send me food and games and your Netflix password to keep me entertained because I am trapped at home and can't go anywhere. But in all seriousness, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Tim and Dennis 
uh, and Kim uh, and Ed for coming on the show today. Thanks everyone for watching. Please hit that like button and please remember all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Uh, yes, exactly right. I, I should not be spreading the Rona to the chat. Um, but I actually feel okay. I've, I felt a lot better today than I did on Tuesday. No joke, though. I, I honestly did. Like, I went to the office this week. That was a very, very bad thing of me to do. But I went to the office on Monday and Tuesday when I was carrying uh, uh, COVID. So let that be a lesson. If you have cold-like symptoms, maybe don't leave your home because, hey, it could be COVID. It could be COVID. Um, so don't do what I did because that was stupid. Um, okay. So Neil's going to go live now, Friday, fun day. After Neil, we've got Moon or Bust. And then I'll be back with y'all at 3.30 with Joel. <laughs> Thanks to Trace. I looked like crap. <laughs> hey, you know what? I didn't feel I didn't feel so hot. <laughs> I didn't feel so hot. <laughs> That's funny, man. All right. I, I, I'm feeling a little better now, but I, I'm still still a little bit congested. Um, and I got my I got I got my, my my vitamin D here and my vitamin C and my vitamin B and, and my Sudafed. So I'm doing all right. Everyone, uh, stay tuned for Neil, get technical. Uh, and uh, stay green today. I'll catch you guys in a little bit. Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day. All you need is a little help to reach out and take them. And if you're looking to grow your portfolio, it doesn't matter if your investment budget is small or big. An easy-to-read stream of news headlines will increase your opportunities to profit from price changes in the stock market, consolidate a knowledge-based investment strategy, and grow your portfolio. All you need is Benzinga Pro and its powerful news alerts, price tracking, and portfolio monitoring to make a positive change in your trading performance. We've already helped thousands of retail traders across the world, and they could not be happier. Increase your market knowledge, boost your exposure to big movers, and make informed trades before major price changes. The opportunities are all around you. Subscribe now, and we'll skyrocket your portfolio today.